Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Barcelona bollocks! You've got to fucking die to get three points! They don't make managers like Neil Warnock anymore. Hey! Have a fucking word with him then, Rat! He gave Team Talks naked, cut his players' toenails, and picked the team based on his wife's dreams. Fucking hell, we're away from home, that's the fucking difference. We're in London. So by all means, enjoy this podcast. But enjoy it by being fucking disciplined here. My name is Jack Rivlin, this is the Upshot Podcast. Joining me as always is Zach. Hello, Jack. Hello, mate. And we are joined today by Mr. James Gregg, TV and radio host, the voice of golf on Eurosport. Welcome, mate. Thank you very much. That's a very kind introduction. That's what they call you, isn't it? It is. You're well known. They, meaning you two just now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Us avid golf fans, we consider you the voice. You're also a, a member of the Yorkshire Sporting Mafia, aren't you, mate? There is a very uh, strong contingent of the Yorkshire Sporting Mafia. Neil Warnock perhaps being the spearhead of it. And I'd like to think <laughs> yeah. that some, uh, somewhere I'm one of his underlings if there was a pyramid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're a Blades fan. Big Blades fan. And, um, you know, I grew up as a supporter of Sheffield United under Neil Warnock when he was leading us to what I thought was the glory days, you know, playing Route 1 football, shouting at managers, having matches abandoned, that kind of thing. And as a as a you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven year old boy, nothing better. Um, and actually, he and Tony Blair were all I kind of knew as constant <laughs> male figures um, <laughs> until two thousand and seven, and then I actually had to grow up. <laughs> Did the Sheffield United fans absolutely love having a, a Sheffield guy in charge? So there's a lot of people now who actually say that Neil Warnock isn't a proper blade. And that's because we've seen Chris Wilder since who actually was. But um, yeah, I think at the time, everybody absolutely loved it. And he was, um, yeah, he was, he's everything that you want to be, isn't he? He's a, as a Sheffielder. Um, but obviously we're going to get into it and you'll find out that perhaps he's not the upstanding citizen that my mum was encouraging me to believe that he was. <laughs> Before we do, can we just talk about the Yorkshire Sporting Mafia? So who's in it? Your, your mates, Joe Root, England captain, former England captain. Yeah, former England captain. Uh, you say Matt Fitzpatrick. Um, there's a bit of a theme here, all Sheffield United fans as well, by the way. And uh, Kel Brook as well, the boxer. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, so he fought at Bramall Lane, obviously, as well. So that was, uh, he actually lost that to Errol Spence, who's now like, obviously, an unbelievable boxer. But yeah, there's quite a quite a strong dynasty. And you look further back than that, there's like Errol Bomber Graham and Michael. 
Michael Vaughan and people like that. So actually, there's quite a strong, proud Sheffield contingent. Um, Jessica Ennis as well. Of course. Um, who obviously had a stand named after her at Sheffield United for a little while until she decided that she didn't want Ched Evans, the convicted rapist, <laughs> back at Sheffield United. And then that all went. Uh, but yeah, actually, there's quite a lot of, um, yeah, there's quite a lot of proud Sheffielders. Love it. All right, a lot of proud Yorkshiremen to impress with this tale. So, guys, I think we should just quickly, for those who don't know, just run through who Neil Warnock is. He's obviously a very famous manager. He's managed the most games in professional football history in England. 1,619. Yeah, record number of promotions, eight promotions. So he's, a, he's sort of the inverse Allardyce, right? He's a promotion specialist rather than a relegation specialist. Um, and why, guys, why is he such a cult figure, if, if you're going to summarise it? I think if people don't even know any of the stories that we're about to go into about him, and they've just observed him doing one or two post-match interviews back from back in the day, you'd see that he's a bit like a fan, isn't he? He'll say things like, that was an absolute disgrace, or the referee, oh, well, you know, he's thinking about his holidays or whatever, right? Mm. And just say something that, like, you would be saying to each other in the stands. And actually, I think that's quite refreshing, you know, and actually the fact that he's had that level of longevity despite all that is ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into this a lot because there's so many little things and quirks to Neil Warnock that do make him an abnormal figure, like completely. <laughs> an and, abnormal human. Yeah, yeah. And we're not even talking about what he looks like either. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's got a sort of PE teacher look to him, doesn't he? Mm, a little bit. One who's had lots of plastic surgery. <laughs> watching uh, watching back in this this documentary that we talk about later from the mid-2000s, he's wearing these like baggy, really, really baggy tracksuits with football boots on underneath. Like The football boots look absolutely tight. They're like a third of the width of the bottom of his trousers. It's just such he a... Wear, he wears studs on the touchline. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, should we get into it? Yeah, so... so I don't know, you might not know that uh, Neil Warner, before he was a manager, he was also a player. So he played sort of lower league football for Scarborough, teams like that. His career was cut short by injury at the age of 30. And at that point, he went straight into management. He really had to start from the bottom, like got the job at Burton Albion, which was the last team that he'd played at. Did a few seasons there and then he got his big break with Notts County, uh, who he took from the third division up to the first division. And they unfortunately got relegated the season before it became the premiership. And he and he was sacked about six months later. Seems pretty harsh. They just got rid of him at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's taken him up through the tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there there are some pretty good stories from that period already. So Stan Collymore, uh, who was... Yeah, sort of a, a young player at that point wasn't established. I uh, remember he's going into to a trial at Notts County and walking into the dressing room and Neil Warnock's in there cutting his players' toenails. <laughs> um, he's he's a he's a he's a yeah he's a dish. Yeah. He's trained chiropodist. He, apparently, he specialises in ingrown toenails. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> it's a nice thing to specialise in, that isn't it? Yeah, there was another another quote actually from Darren Ambrose from when he was at Crystal Palace that. He was a chiropodist and he used to do my feet. He would not let anyone else trim my toenails and stuff. He would do it. He would have his little glasses and white coat and a bag of nail tools and he'd do my feet. <laughs> I love the idea of don't let anyone else do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. do your own. I'll also, do I just it. love this image of, of Neil Warnock in a white coat that he sort of, 
you know, he's in his tracksuit and then goes into the dressing room, takes it off, puts on his white coat, gets his little toolkit out, and <laughs> Darren Ambrose gets his foot up at the table. Chiropodist like mode activated. It's like a pedicure. <laughs> when's he become a chiropodist? Like, surely that's a career in itself, isn't it? I don't know, because he, he also, before he um, became a football player, he, he was an undertaker for a while. Love it. So he's, yeah, he's a, a man of many talents. And, yeah. Very impressive. I don't know if that was where he learned his uh, chiropodist skills as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's good practice. Wow. <laughs> Unlicensed <laughs> chiropodist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> Let's assume not. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that that wasn't his uh his only unorthodox habit so um tom cowan who's a, a player who played played under warnock at huddersfield recalled warnock making his players uh drink sherry with raw eggs before matches what, in the so morning? Like he, yeah, yeah so he'd bring in a bottle of sherry and and eggs and you know pour out a shot glass put a raw egg in and they had to neck it and um apparently this was absolutely horrible like players were like throwing up in the toilets and they absolutely hated it but they went on a 15 match unbeaten run and warnock's a really superstitious bloke and uh once they once they started winning he was like all right we've got to do the sherry and eggs every week and the players have already reached the point where they were like guys like, we've we've got to throw a game here. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be doing this every week. Is there another time where he, he, they went on a 20 match unbeaten run. I don't know which club. And he said, I'm not changing my pants after the yeah, first yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. And he had to wear the same pants for 20 games. <laughs> Does that include the days in between? <laughs> That's yeah. like six months, isn't it? Yeah. He's surely not wearing them during the week. He's not like, no, I'm not, I'm not taking them off at all yeah. until we leave. Yeah. Surely it's just his match day attire, Fine, yeah. which is bad enough in itself, yeah. by the way, isn't it? 20 wears. Yeah. yeah not for me, Clive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he washing them in between the matches or is that part of the, no, I think it's lucky, just... lucky sweat in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you also in this right from, right from the, right from the start, really, he gets known for these really, vicious bollockings of his players. So I could just play this first clip, which is from uh, his time at Huddersfield. Uh, I think it's like a half-time team talk. The second goal. The first goal. You in soft as shit. You're letting him back into it all day, you. And no happening. You're, you're in Latvia. You, you're in fucking Latvia. <laughs> <laughs> So good. I want, I'd love to have context behind that because I've seen that clip and it is a thing of beauty. But you do wonder, why Latvia? Is the bloke Latvian? Is he the <laughs> Latvian international who signed for Huddersfield? Yeah. Or is he just... It's just the furthest just, place just, away you could think of. a fun place that he could think yeah. of. What so, was it? Yeah, it's like being yeah. on the moon. Also, at the beginning of that clip, which w- wasn't shown there, he starts at the players' file in at half-time and he's in the toilets of the dressing room with a cup of tea, just standing over the urinal, sipping his tea, preparing himself for the bollocking. Mm, mm. There's, a, there's a good story from when he was at Sheffield United and he was giving them a similar style bollocking where... Um, this was post-match. So he was, an, an, again, absolutely drenched and he was taking all his tracksuit bottoms off and whatever as he was bollocking them. So he was taking all his clothes off and the lads apparently couldn't actually focus on the fact that 
he was shouting at them all <laughs> and he was going, yeah, and you, as he was taking a sock off and they're thinking, no, surely not. To the point where he was stark bollock naked whilst giving them all the bollocking. And that was, the, that was like a, he's surely not. No way. Really? Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, the tracksuit bottoms are off. Yeah, the t-shirt's gone. Just stood there. And apparently he ca- continued this thing for five or 10 minutes before then going into the shower. And said, Just naked. Yes. And he said, right, I'm going first. And went straight in the shower. That's how he ended it. Would Brilliant. you say this was like a symbolic removal of the lucky pants? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can finally say goodbye to these. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how I feel about managers showering with the players. Is that is that a normal practice? You can't imagine Pep doing it, can you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is it James Milner who went and to as like a sort of show of respect, he went and showered with the other team after a game? Was it James? Oh Milner? no, Declan Rice. Declan Rice. After they they played, I think West Ham played Kidderminster in the FA Cup or something, and um, there was an interview with the manager afterwards, being like, "Oh, was, you know, it's a great experience. These are these are the kind of things that will live with my players for." the rest of their lives they'll be telling their grandkids about it you know Declan Rice came in he he showered with the boys and you know it was a special moment (laughs) (laughs) what what a true professional what a gentleman (laughs) he showered with us he just walked in and was like come on lads yeah (laughs) imagine them telling their grandkids about it do you remember the time did I ever tell you about the time I saw Declan Rice's knob Bielsa used to do it as well, didn't he? he? Used to get his kit off in front of the players. Apparently, yeah. Which is, it must be a, a generational thing. That can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jurgen Klopp doing it? Can you imagine Mikel Arteta doing it? Yeah, no, Arteta not when the Netflix cameras are there. Anyway, <laughs> would sell a lot of streams. I, uh, the Bielsa one, I think he got naked and got given a massage naked while bollocking the players. It's something like really? that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is that was Warnock to a T. Yeah, he yeah. used to love doing that. I'm not sure it was a regular occurrence, but it was definitely something that he didn't think twice about doing. Yeah. So in 1999, he gets the big job. He's done he's done well in the 90s, and he's sort of been a bit of a journeyman around various clubs. But in 1999, he gets the Sheffield United job, beginning an eight year era of well, glory, occasional glory, should we call it, and uh, a lot of laughs for the neutral and probably for the fans. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And actually, before they were kind of languishing around and had been in the Premier League a bit, but hadn't really done anything. Attendances dwindled a little bit. And from what I gather, I was a little bit too young to remember the start of Neil Warnock's glorious reign at Bramall Lane. But I know that the attendances went up by five or six thousand instantly the second he got the job. Uh, for home matches. And that was just because, you know, some of the things he said in the press when he first got the job and he was talking all about, you know, I'm going to get it back to where it belongs and uh, and all that. And people were buying into it and straight shooting, you know, bloke who's obviously got Sheffield connections and had been raised in the area and that kind of thing. All of a sudden, then it's like, wow, you know, we're going to, we're going to get back in and then signing these big, strong players and, and just kind of building that, what we now know as being his blueprint for, in inverted commas, success. Um, <laughs> that was kind of where he started that. And that's, that, that was obviously great. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into this, okay? The, the Warnock effect. The Warnock effect. Uh, and as part of the Warnock effect, obviously he's got a win over the squad and there's a story from around this time where he takes them on a team bonding trip to a bowling alley and he passes around a hat and says, everyone stick 20 quid in there. We're, we're going to have a, a whip round, winner takes all. So everyone puts 20 quid in. And then once all the money's in, Warnock pulls out his own shoes and bowling ball and proceeds to shoot an almost perfect game, 250. <laughs> Didn't tell them that he worked at a bowling alley for two years and is almost a pro. 
So that gives them like a pretty good flavour of his kind of like mischievous fun side. Um, I think the world gets a really good sense of what Warnock can be like at the more high pressure moments in 2002, which is the Battle of Bramall Lane, famous game. So the Blades are trailing West Brom 3-0. They've had three red cards, so it's very much game over. It's 86 minutes gone. The match is sort of dwindling to a finish when they've already got away with a couple of near red cards after this, which probably would have caused them to forfeit the game. And then suddenly Sheffield United suffer two quite convenient injuries, which means they're down to six men. And the ref has no choice, according to the rules, than to abandon the game. So after, you know, with with literally a matter of minutes left to play, the match is abandoned. The Sheffield United fans are celebrating, but obviously the West Brom fans, manager players, are incandescent with rage. And it becomes a huge, huge scandal. Um, Warnock later complains that he's been accused of more crimes than Bin Laden, which is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a year after 9-11 so Bin Laden is sort of top villain <laughs> um, and in, in the end he gets a ban for it they're fined and actually the FA award the 3-0 result to West Brom which is possibly fair enough but it becomes this infamous match and it kicks off an amazing feud with uh, West Brom manager Gary Megson which lasts like a lot of their career a few years later Megson tries to shake Warnock's hand before a game and Warnock just turns his back to him refuses and when the press ask him he he says I wouldn't shake his hand in a million years I wouldn't piss on him if he were on fire so it's like (laughs) proper vitriol which is maybe a side of Warnock we haven't covered that much so far which is He's quite a bitter man at times. I right? think so, yeah. And he doesn't really suffer fools gladly or indeed, you know, take people who are going to badmouth him um, lightly either. And that was, there was a little bit of extra spice with that because Gary Megson was an ex-Sheffield Wednesday superstar. Um, so there was already a little bit of hatred towards Megson, I think even before the Battle of Bramall Lane, just because he was quite a polarising character when he played for Wednesday and then obviously comes back and then is right at the centre of this quite controversial um, match. It's the only game that's been, that was abandoned, I think, in, in football league history um, for a lack of players on one side. So do you reckon it was very much a deliberate? Um, it's hard to say. I think some people who know Neil Warnock very well would say, absolutely no question that he was trying to get that game replayed Mm. and let's get it abandoned. I think others were saying, "Mm, you know, maybe not. Was that ever likely to happen though? Because I'd have thought if one player, one one team, sorry, can't fulfil the match because they don't have enough players, then that's their problem really. If you're 3-0 down, I mean, common sense says, you know, surely every onlooker in the country is going to go, well, they've had it abandoned, but they were 3-0 down, just give them the win. Mm, Surely, mm, right? mm, Especially in the late, it was like 80-something minute, wasn't it? So yeah, I'm not sure. Who knows? That's what happened. Yeah, Yeah. that is what happened. (laughs) But I mean, it creates great drama, which is something, I mean, he, he does repeatedly in this era start these feuds with other managers. There's a, there's a pretty amazing season where Warnock takes Sheffield United to the FA and League Cup semi-finals in the same season, right? And they get, they get drawn against Liverpool and Arsenal. Couldn't really ask for bigger games. And I, I imagine he's exactly the sort of manager you want for a cup run, right? It's real like momentum, emotional stuff. The results don't go to plan. So they, they lose the game to Liverpool. There's a nice moment during it where he gets into a fight with Liverpool's assistant manager, Phil Thompson, who's known for having quite a big nose on him. Poor Phil. (laughs) And Warnock tells him on the touchline, you can fuck off, Pinocchio. Get back in your fucking cupboard. (laughs) Which I love. 
they they lose that game, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, and in this, yeah, in the second leg, Michael Owen scored. I think <laughs> Michael Owen of all people. <laughs> uh, yeah, he scored it. Scored a good goal, and the goalkeeper wasn't fourteen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It was actually a very fat Paddy Kenny, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. So, but that was, yeah. But it was, you know, that season actually we got to the playoff final as well. So that was yeah. three finals, all which, or two semifinals. And then the playoff finals, I mean, three huge, huge games that he takes us to. And the Blades hadn't had that for 15 years prior. So that was like a really big thing that mm. he did. And you're right, you know, for a cup run, because... The the thing is, talking about, you know, pre-match, obviously, before you play in Arsenal in an FA Cup semi-final, all the chat is about Henri and Burkamp and Vieira. And Warnock would be, obviously, talking like a fan about it. So he'd be saying, well, big guns will be out on Saturday, you know, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> so it was, that was the kind of stuff that people, I loved that as a kid. Mm. I'd go, he talks like the bloke who sits behind me yeah. in the in the, gra- in the ground. And that was that was what it was. But he um, he used to really kind of love that that battle with those big name players yeah. because he knew, he knew that he wasn't on that, on that kind of same level. There was no even slight element of delusion in his mind that he was going to be a top, top, top manager. And I think he was thinking, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah. So we might as well enjoy it whilst we're here. Mm. And that's what's, that's what's quite nice. They're yeah. all quite tight games as well, aren't they? Yeah. Really tight games. So Arsenal um, beat uh, Sheffield United 1-0 at Old Trafford, obviously, before um, the Wembley semi-finals. It was when Wembley was still being built. Mm. So it was at, at Old Trafford. And um, the the goal was controversial. It was Graham Pohl, the referee, who Warnock then later goes on to have a big feud with. And he made lots of choice comments about Graham Pohl afterwards. And and um, it was actually uh, Graham Pohl, wasn't it, who coined the phrase or the name for Neil Warnock, Colin Wanker. It was yes. Paul, which it, is... It was Graham Paul after that, after Warnock's comments. So it's yeah. the anagram of Neil Warnock, Yes, right? that's yeah. right, yeah. So he said an anagram of Neil Warnock is Colin Wanker. <laughs> and that was in light of what had happened in that semi-final where one of our players had the ball, he ran into Graham Paul, dispossessed, Arsenal went down the other end and scored, slightly controversial. And then in the dying embers of the game, a 40-year-old David Seaman makes perhaps the best save you've ever seen. You can YouTube mm. it. Fantastic. So that's, um, yeah, th- there was that, that whole little run was awesome. And that really catapulted him to like kind of legendary status, certainly in my mind. Yeah. He, he really doesn't like that nickname, Colin. Hates it. Neil Warnock, right? Does he complain about there's it? A, there's a clip, I actually haven't seen it, of um, behind the scenes. I think he's waiting to be interviewed for Match of the Day. And he says to somebody, tell Gary Lineker to fuck off. He always calls me Colin. <laughs> <laughs> this is like years after he's once done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He holds grudges, doesn't he? Yeah, Which definitely. I, I like. And there's a, there's a feud around this time that develops with Arsene Wenger again, mm. which maybe, like you say, is almost like, let me pick on the biggest name possible because it's going to kind of elevate my rep as well. Correct, yeah. I mean, if you're attaching your name to that, you see that a lot, don't you? Like when like really small fry sports stars start a feud and you think, what on earth could that possibly be about? And that's like, well, that's another one from Warnock's box yeah. of tricks, isn't it? I mean, he's he's picked the perfect one because there's already a Sheffield United-Arsenal rivalry because of that 1999. Is it an FA Cup game where the ball goes out for an injury and Carnu from Arsenal, do you remember, he just takes the ball and scores? Yes, and, that's and right. And the result stands, I think, does it? I think they the, the, the two teams, I mean, this wouldn't happen now, but I think the two teams agreed to have a replay mm. but that was Wenger maybe his first or second season mm. and he he apparently Warnock's accusation again was that Wenger had told Carnu 
to run on and to onto it and score when it was meant to be a pass back. And I think that from then on, that was it. You know, yeah. it was in Neil Warnock's bad books. And yeah. obviously he had, you know, a lot of success. Arsene Wenger and Warnock thought, right, I'm going to cling onto the coattails yeah. of this guy. and We're going to hammer him every week in the press. So that's how it, that's how it worked. But um, he gets lucky. They keep getting drawn against Arsenal. So in yes. 2005, there's another FA Cup game against Arsenal. Um, and it, it's two intense matches. It goes to a replay and a penalty shootout. And it's also... Uh, the setting for an amazing pre-match talk that he gives his squad before the Arsenal game. I think we've just got to go out, by all means enjoy it, but enjoy it by being fucking disciplined here. The quick free kick's what they're on about. You know, it'll be down in the fucking seat. The ref won't make him retake it, will it? So that's like the setting for one of the most iconic Warnock lines. Enjoy it by being fucking disciplined. <laughs> Uh, but it works. Like the, He just gets the team to rise to it, doesn't he? Are those players, by the way, they are... And I hate saying this about professional sportsmen because they're better sports people than any of us in this room. But they were awful footballers, particularly when you think they got a draw against Arsenal at Highbury. And that was an Arsenal team where they had, you know, Burkamp and Vieira and all these names, like I mentioned before, and Martin Keown and these, these, these types of players in those squads. And he was getting these quite f- closely fought results. And this was not long after the Invincibles and that kind of thing. So you go, wow, how has he managed that? He also says in there, he says, he also makes reference to what I was just on about in that same team talk where he says, chairman will be happy because all fucking big guns will be out for that. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, they were. Well, Henri and... Henri, and I think perhaps Burkamp maybe, who came off the bench for that one, started at Bramall Lane and that kind of thing. And for him, that was a victory. And I love that. I love Mm. that. He knows his level and there's, yeah. He's really, he's a fan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, brilliant. He wanted to see him. He was probably excited to see Henri starting against Chris Morgan at centre yeah. half. You know, that's that's the kind of level that we're on. Yeah. Fair play. Replay to a replay and a shootout as, as close as it comes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Around this time, Warnock 
gives up his habit of uh, giving team talks naked, which is fortunate because uh, the cameras roll up to film a documentary tracking uh, Sheffield United's 2004-05 season. Yeah, it's this kind of fly-on-the-wall style. It couldn't be more mid 2000s like even right right from the start the um it begins with this black and white montage of warnock giving out his his bollockings to players i think the overwhelming impression that you get of him is a incredibly intense and very angry person <laughs> which uh is really shown in a, another clip so there's a, a part of the documentary where Sheffield United play away at Millwall and it's it's a really um tempestuous game that it all kicks off in the tunnel at half time and Kevin Muscat a uh, Millwall player headbutts Paddy Kenny and they both end up getting sent off so and Sheffield United don't have a, another keeper on the bench so Phil Jagielka ends up going in goal and Sheffield go a goal down but turn it around and win 2-1 and as the uh, as the players are walking off at the end uh, this is what Warnock says to the Millwall players Serves you right for fucking Muscat, that. Serves you right for Muscat, that. Hey, serves you right for fucking Muscat, that. Fucking serves you right with him. So he doesn't doesn't pick a keeper on the bench. No, and then I think this happens. No. This happens again the following season, and yeah. Jagielka has to go and goal again. It's yeah, like, it's, it's in. They have like a memorable. They finally beat Arsenal when they go up to the Premier League the following season, and in that game, Paddy Kenny, the goalkeeper, gets injured. And uh, there's again, Warnock hasn't got a subkeeper because he says, I like to have an extra forward, which yeah. is mental. That would you twice in two seasons, mate. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Phil Jagielka goes in sticks again and they win 1 0 against yeah. Arsenal, which must be like famous. Yeah, it was famous. It was a guy called Christian Narde, a French player who rounds Colo Torre and then just slips it past Jens Lehmann and obviously Bram Lane erupts. But yeah, I remember Paddy Kenny and he, he, he was quite an injury prone goalkeeper, always kind of hobbling off. I think perhaps something to do with um, his conditioning, Paddy Kenny. Um, but he, um, he so, so Jagielka comes on and we, we were used to seeing that. It sounds crazy to, to say that, doesn't it? That actually as a supporter, you were going, oh yeah, yeah, Jags is on again. You know, it, for most other teams, this would be a once in a lifetime thing that they're seeing. But actually for us, it was, yeah, well, yeah, he's going in again. And he actually makes a really good save from Robin Van Persie. Yeah, <laughs> really tips was. one over the bar diving backwards. Yeah, to keep it at 1-0. Incredible. So Warnock there, that kind of ridiculous decision-making was actually justified there. Yeah, quite w- Was part of the reason he never picked a subkeeper because he knew he had Jack Elka, who was I handy. I think so. I think he's obviously started doing it, messing around, going in goal in training, and then obviously thought, oh, he's actually all right. And Warnock's, the cogs have started to turn up. <laughs> They? Well, who, who needs a sub-goalkeeper when we can have Neil Shipperley on the bench? <laughs> Does a job. Did they have a backup keeper in the squad? Because surely this backup keeper isn't too happy when he's just like, so what am I, what am I even doing coming to training? Like, it's bad enough being a, a reserve keeper, but you're not even, you're putting Jackie Elker in goal ahead of me. Yeah, and even Paddy Kenny's a bit, like in the dock you see after after the Millwall win, Warnock's like, right, we don't, Jags, you're going in next week, can't change a winning team. And Paddy Kenny's just sitting there looking slightly affronted. <laughs> But he has this amazing ability, Neil Warnock, to make you feel like 10 men. All the players say that who've played under him. And then, again, another endearing thing is that, you know, he would walk up to players and just be their best friend if he knew that he needed something from them on on a Saturday. So there's a really good one when he was at Rotherham later on um, in his career. And you might remember that Rotherham were pretty much at the bottom of the championship table 
two or three months left of the season to go. Warnock turns up. He was only turning up twice a week to training. He'd turn up on a Thursday and a Friday, basically rally the troops. And then they ended up finishing about mid-table Rotherham. Incredible, like an incredible run of games from a team that looked completely destined for the drop. And he um, walked up to Greg Halford, who hadn't played the entire season for Rotherham at that point, probably 35, 36 years old, getting on a little bit, a bit of a utility player. And he'd had him at Sheffield United 15 years previously. And he walked up to Greg Halford on his first day and said, I need you Saturday, you're starting. And that was it. You know, from, from then on in, this guy played every game. It was like a machine. And that's that's the ability. I've got one where he actually came up to me doing a bit of media work where I was doing a TV show um, in Sheffield locally. And he arrived. This was when he was the Rotherham manager, actually. Similar kind of period. And I had um, my ex-girlfriend with me at the time. She was sat on the sofa. And I don't know why she'd come to kind of see that particular night. She's obviously a secret Neil Warnock fan. And she <laughs> thought, you know what, I'm going to... Um, um, I, I'm going to sit here and I'll just keep out the way and whatever. So Warnock comes in. Hiya, son, how are you? Oh, you're looking fantastic tonight and all that. And he's touching my shirt. And, oh, you're looking wonderful. Um, go and get us a cup of tea. Is that your missus over there? I'll go and talk to her. She's much better to look at than you are, son, <laughs> and all that. So we went over and started having a chat to her. And then afterwards, we were in the we went to the pub. We always went to the pub across the road, just for a quick pint. A little thank you to the guest. And Warnock came and we were chatting away. There was three or four of us in there and he just pulled me to one side and he went, hey, I thought you were fantastic, you son. Hey, in a few years time when I'm sitting at home on the sofa and I'm dying, I can just point at you on telly and I can go, hey, Sharon, I fucking know him. <laughs> <laughs> But I walked out of that pub feeling like 10 men. Yeah, you know, I yeah, thought I'd yeah. run through brick walls for him. And that's just what Neil Warnock's like. Unfortunately, I'm yet to get the TV breakthrough. Uh, <laughs> well, so. he hasn't retired either. No, he's still really, going. Yeah, yeah we've still got a few years until that scenario comes to fruition. That's so good. Oh my God, the charisma in action. Yeah. Some people don't like Neil Warnock, though. We should acknowledge right now. So, for example, he, he finally takes Sheffield United up to the Premier League in 2006. And you go straight down. We'll come back to the circumstances of that in a second. But when it happens, relegation day, Sean Bean, who's obviously local celeb, and I think he was a director at the time of the club, honorary maybe. Yeah, something like that on the board, yeah. Game of Thrones star Sean Bean, a major Hollywood act- actor. He bursts into Warnock's office straight after the game and launches a foul mouth tirade. Uh, and, and in front of Warnock's wife and kids, he says. And Bean later says to the press, a lot of fans refer to him as Colin Wanker, and I can see why. So what's going on? Look, obviously you're relegated, but you know, he took you up in the first place. Where's the negativity coming from? I don't know. I think there's obviously a few stories about him being a little bit of a wheeler dealer. Warnock used to always invite the managers in for a drink after the game as is quite customary for that old school type of manager. The difference being is that a lot of the managers didn't come in for a drink because they'd invariably have fallen out on the touchline or just think he's a bit of a knob anyway. So he used to ask for a rider, like a rock star style rider. So he'd sort of write down a sheet of things the week before the game. Some lackey would go and fill up his little fridge in his manager's office with with you know, a few beers or whatever. And again... Uh, This comes from a very good source, somebody who used to sit in his manager's office week in, week out. And he would fill out this rider and he would say to the lad who was collecting the order, he'd say, well, Big Sam's coming, actually. We're playing Bolton on Saturday. So I'll tell you what, Big Sam, he likes a beer. So get, get six beers in, 
bear around, they only stay for 15 minutes, these <laughs> managers. So his missus, his missus will be there and his missus, oh, she likes a Sauvignon Blanc. So get a couple of bottles of that. Um, my Sharon will be there. So get that red. Um, and actually, oh, he's coaching staff. Oh, they're good lads. Oh, they're good lads. I tell you what, let's get a bit of, bit of bubbly. Bit of bubbly in for them, right? So this fridge, every Saturday, would be stocked up with a load of beers, a load of wine, uh, whatever it was, champagne, all the rest of it. The, the managers, the coaching staff, they would never come in. If they did, it would be one beer and off. Warnock then used to get this source of mine's son, who was about 10 at the time, he'd say, can you just um, take this carrier bag here, son, and there's my car keys. And what I want you to do is, whilst we're sitting having a glass of wine, just fill this plastic bag up, just put all them beers and all that in. And put, make sure, in fact, I tell you what, make sure that fridge is completely empty. And then my car's that orange Peugeot over there. So if you just go and stick, stick it in the boot, there's a good lad, son. There's a tenner in it for you. And you go, oh, brilliant, there's a tenner in it for me. Would he ever pay him the tenner? No, he wouldn't. Would Warnock's car be filled up with booze every week? Yes, it would. Would he probably sell it down the pub? Maybe. <laughs> Lots of little stories like that. Did it end badly with the fans when he left then? I don't think so. I think people were really disappointed the fact that he'd obviously had this incredible amount of success taking us to the Premier League. We got relegated on the last day of the season, which we're about to come on to. But so it ended in quite like, you know, it was fine margins. We were close to staying up and actually it was like, really? So that that last day of the season was yeah. make or break in terms of Warnock's future. Um, Does he quit? Or does he, is he it's, it's all a little bit, uh, I think I think there was a feeling that they wanted to push him. So perhaps he then just kind of took his ball home. I don't really know the ins and outs of how he, mm. how he left. I think there's about a million and one different versions of Warnock's perhaps is definitely not the correct <laughs> version to believe. So they get, they get relegated by a Carlos Tevez goal for West Ham on the last day of the season, mm. which is controversial because Tevez possibly the way West Ham bought him was not legal, right? There was some joint ownership. So yeah, so the FA ended up going back and basically saying, no, that was not right. And they got fined retrospectively for it. Not as much as they perhaps should have been. Um, there was talk of obviously them being docked points and us mm. being reinstated. It was really contentious, but there was no doubt that it was Javier Mascarano as well and mm. Carlos Tevez. Tevez scores the goal at Old Trafford. They beat Manchester United on the last day of the season. And uh, David Unsworth, who used to play for Sheffield United, in fact, earlier on in that season, we sold him to Wigan in January. He then scores a penalty at Bramall Lane on the last day of the season against us to send us down. So, yeah, there was like, you know, really fine margins. Actually quite sickening, mm. just thinking about it, actually. Yeah. I'm still not over it, lads. Mm. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to reopen that one. But it must be quite painful for Neil. Like, he's obviously, it's been his dream. It's his first season in the Premier League denied by really fine margins. And then you've got fucking local legend Sean Bean storming in and bollocking you. <laughs> is he in Game of Thrones at this point? Either way, he's like a global star. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Hollywood superstar. Um, he'd been in Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff at that point. So, but um, we always have a joke in Sheffield because Sean Bean dies in everything that he's in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, at that point he'd already been killed off in about five or six different film <laughs> franchises. We didn't know how many more there were to come, but he's not let us down, has he? <laughs> Do you ever go to his brother's kebabby? Is it a kebabby? It's a chippy. Um, kebabish. Keb- is that, what, is that yeah. Dan Bean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's Sean Bean's brother, right? Yeah, that's that's right. what I've been yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. Right. When, I, when I was told that in there, I was like, am I just being Now had you're here? saying that, it's making me think maybe I've been had as well, but we'll stick with <laughs> oh, it. I think he's like a local celeb, isn't he? Is he? Yeah. Much yeah. like his brother, Sean. Less, less prolific on, <laughs> in Hollywood. 
<laughs> anyway, that's the end of the Sheffield United era. And then he goes to Palace, right? Which is, again, a slightly difficult two years. It ends with the club and administration getting dock points, which is when he leaves. But it does play host to an amazing Neil Warnock moment, which very much belongs in, in the mythology, which is the, the night before a big FA Cup replay against Wolves, Neil's wife, Sharon, has a dream that a fullback scores the winning goal. For most of us waking up to your other half telling you about their dream is just a sort of slightly tedious encounter that you're hoping to get through. But for Neil, it's inspiration for a major selection decision. Walks into the dressing room and he tells the players, Sharon's had a dream and therefore Danny Butterfield, who's the second choice right back. He's not even like a starting player. Danny, you're on up front, which is pretty shocking for everyone. Anyway, they think he's joking. He's like, no, no, Danny, you're on up front. So Danny Butterfield starts up front and scores a perfect hat-trick in six minutes. No way. For Palace, yeah. I didn't know that. You don't know that story? No, that's amazing. So was was this in the championship? Uh, It's an FA Cup replay. replay. But I mean, Wolves will be a championship team, I think, around then. And it's a perfect hat-trick. Left foot, right foot, head. Six minutes. Oh my goodness. I think it's the fastest FA Cup hat-trick ever. Or maybe the fastest hat-trick for Palace ever. this guy played most of his career at right back. Yeah. No way. I did not yeah. know that. And apparently this is a thing. There's another player, I forget who, who comes forward and says, I want to say David Eilif, something like that, who says, yeah, I got dropped because of one of Sharon's dreams. And I was <laughs> coming in, I was, I found out I'd been dropped the day before and I was coming in for the game and I was about to have a massive go at Warnock. Didn't get a chance to speak to him. And the guy who I got dropped for scored. So no, it, yeah, Sharon's yeah. dreams are powerful things. That's amazing. Just yeah. think he's, he'd probably still be managing Gainsborough Trinity if it wasn't for Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how much of these decisions are her dreams is what I'm wondering. And also, how many dreams did she have that were turned out to be complete bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I said this before, like when, when my wife tells me her dreams, it's normally that I was horrible to her or something. Yeah. You get kind of blanked all day and I kind of just think, it's a fucking dream. Shut yeah. up. So I'm impressed that he set so much store in them. That is so good. There's another really good pre-season story as well, where he, I think it's either Sheffield United or QPR, Paddy Kenny tells the story, and he he takes the squad to Cornwall near his his, uh, village, and they're playing against Bodmin, just like a a small team. And uh, just before the game, he brings in this 14-year-old boy and the boy's dad, and he says, all right, lads, this is uh, whatever his name is. he's going to be playing the last 20 minutes for us. And everyone's like, well, he's, he's 14 year old boy. What are you talking about? Anyway, the, the kid does play the last 20 minutes of the friendly does. Okay. And afterwards it transpires that the kid's dad is a painter decorator who had done Warnock's house. And instead of paying his invoice, he said, I'll give your lad 20 minutes against Bob. (laughs) Wow. It's a currency minutes, minutes in a top football team. I think it's very valid. So this to the palace time doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really work out through no fault of his own, I would argue. It's financial difficulties. And he winds up at QPR, which is another quite enjoyable Warnock era because he takes them to the Premier League, gets sacked within about four months of getting back into the Premier League. But he's, he's doing pretty well. One of my favourite stories around this time is they play Blackburn and El Juf is like really up to no good for Blackburn. He's like playing really dirty. And afterwards, Warnock says... He's really livid at uh, El Hajduk's filthy antics. He says, you could see what a nasty piece of fish he is. I called him a little sewer rat, but that might be a little harsh on sewer rats. He's like really laying into him. <laughs> and then the next season he signs El Hajduk for Leeds where he's now managing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, if you're El Hajduk, you're not like, fuck off, mate. You call yeah, me a sewer yeah. rat. <laughs> well, this happens quite a lot. So there, you know, the clip where he's shaking and serves your right for fucking Muscat, that one. Mm. He's... um 
he does that to Paul Eiffel. The following season, Paul Eiffel signs for Sheffield United from Millwall, right? Unbelievable. The, Jason Punchin slagging Warnock off on a TalkSport interview. Warnock then got, gets a job at, QP, uh, at Crystal Palace, obviously works with him, coming out singing his praises. This is obviously quite a theme, isn't it? Like where he just slags off players or really gets into them. But hey, come here, son, you'll do a great mm, job for me. Yeah. And then that's it. All of a sudden it's back on. And I love that. I love the fact that he's he's able to turn um, these people round, you know, from being probably hating him and oh, fucking Neil Warnock, what a tosser. And actually then they end up going, oh, what a brilliant yeah. bloke and running through brick walls for him every week. But I think it's, it's just because he, he wears his heart on his, sleeve, on his sleeve to such an extent that even if he goes in on you like that, you just know that what you see is what you get. And exactly. if he then, if he then turns around and really charms you, then I don't know, it's just impossible not to like him. But he, he is doesn't. a grudge holder as well. Like we've talked about Gary Megson yeah. and others where sometimes he won't let some, you know, he, he, in the documentary, he falls out with his, his assistant, Kevin Blackwell leaves to take another job. And most people would just wish you well. And Warnock just blanks him entirely. He's livid. So what, how does, what determines whether he holds a grudge against you or whether he, he signs you the next season? The Blackwell one was jealousy. So he got the Leeds job and Leeds was obviously, I mean, it still arguably is a bigger job than Sheffield United, depending on, you know, regardless of division, you know, in terms of stature. And I think for also managers of that age and that era, Leeds obviously were a huge force when they were sort of playing and that kind of thing. So I think when Blackwell leaves to get the Leeds job, although Leeds were struggling at the time and Blades were puff pushing for promotion it was like a real bone of contention and it and it really stays with him throughout his whole career this this sort of quite strange quite, i don't know an odd way of being with people abrasive but funny at the same time yeah. in kind of this late what we're calling late late career warnock so he goes through this string of clubs he goes to crystal palace leeds qpr rotherham um I think he only spends a season or less at each uh, and then finally settles up at Cardiff around 2018, 2019. Um, and yeah, by this point, he's really settled into this like pantomime villain role that he's had for such a long time. Um, but I think at Cardiff, he's in some ways at his like at his best really in this like snarling, barking character. Um, and there's a few incidents. So a game against Wolves where I think it was quite a, a fiery game. And at the end, uh, Nuno, his Wolves manager at the time, was following Warnock around, trying to try to shake his hand. And Warnock's just walking away from him. And it's quite a funny scene. It's sort of Benny Hill, like Nuno following him across the pitch. And at some point, Warnock just turns around and barks, fuck off. And Nuno's just like, all right, all right, okay. <laughs> and also the other one... Um, the game against Chelsea, where I think Chelsea scored a goal, Chelsea won one nil uh, by a goal that was quite clearly offside. And at the end of the game, the referee and the linesman are standing in the centre circle like they do. And Warnock goes onto the pitch and just stands there with his hands on his hips, just staring them down, shaking his head until they walk off. And yeah, just giving them this, this death stare. <laughs> I've seen that. It's, it's, been, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And there's the other other one from from the from the Cardiff period was the um, have you seen this clip of a camera being shoved in Warnock's face, which they often do before matches, and Warnock is obviously a little bit affronted by this and just decides to respond by 
walking into the camera. It's just such a funny clip. He looks like a bird, like pecking, pecking yeah. the camera. He's got like his hands behind his back, like Liam Gallagher style. But yeah, he's just pecking yeah, at the yeah, camera. People yeah. putting all the Liam Gallagher music <laughs> over it, weren't they? Which was quite a, quite a sight. <laughs> it's like the iconic Warnock little gif video. You've probably seen it around if you if you're trying to imagine it. Yeah. Is he just like, at this point, just fucking around for a laugh? Because it, it, yeah. it gets quite creative, the, the like pecking at the camera, staring down the officials, or is he genuinely angry? I think you know now, like he knows now that he's got this reputation, right? So he's got this, he, he knows the legend is there. He knows that people are talking about him and loving this kind of stuff. And he's not daft. Like he's always cultivated the media quite well. He's always said stuff to protect the players. He's always t- said something really outrageous so that actually, you know, take a bit of a, spotlight off the, you know he was really good like that but I think because of that he's so he's savvy enough to know like I remember when he was at Middlesbrough and he was wearing the the bicycle helmet with the big bifocal glasses and he was cycling along and these um, Middlesbrough fans driving past him as he's pedaling along on this little sort of fold up bike and they go love you Neil and he goes all right son you know <laughs> and that kind of thing and that is I've spent a little bit of time with Warnock and I know that he's playing up to things and doing things like that he's got to be hasn't he he's got to be there's no way he's actually like that maybe he's just shit housing yeah that's well, quite right that. that's what I love about him and I guess over time it's like at the time when he was bollocking people and stuff, it was probably less appreciated. But with, you know, with the distance of time now, people just lap it up. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah like exactly. us. There was such a nice story from his Middlesbrough time as well, where it was during the COVID lockdown. So obviously he couldn't do his um, signing autographs for fans before games. So he uh, filled up his little bum bag with photographs of himself, which he'd already signed at home and was then going around the training ground, giving them out. <laughs> <laughs> the arrogance. So, yeah. the arrogance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a bit of confidence so to walk around with that bum bag full of signed photos. <laughs> takes confidence to wear a bum bag. <laughs> Imagine leaving that bum bag on the train. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Um, actually another clip I wanted to play from his uh, time at Middlesbrough where he, he does a Forrest Gump impression describing his team I was watching the Forrest Gump last night Mark, you know, have you seen that one of tourist films and yeah. he said, uh, I thought just like myself it's like, my team is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get You've got an empty box of chocolates. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so I thought. Well, it's instead of instead of life is like a box of chocolates. It's my team. <laughs> Always good when you need to explain yeah. the gag at the yeah, end. Yeah. <laughs> also, he just pauses, waiting for the laughter, and it's just yeah. silence. Some bloke nervously laughing on the Zoom call. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I actually don't think that's a bad impression because the way he says "what you're gonna get," that's yeah, quite. Yeah. Most people don't factor that bit into their Forrest Gump <laughs> impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. How old is he? He's 74, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. getting towards the territory of being one of the oldest. How old's Roy Hodgson? I think he's 76. 76 right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is which is great, isn't it? I want to know from your side, why why do you, why do you two at Upshot Towers love Neil Warnock so much? Because well, he's not yeah. he's not like the previous episodes. Yeah. He's not like the wrongans. He's not got the sordid uh, weirdness about him, has he? So, like, what is it from your side? Well, he's got weirdness. He's got plenty of that. But you're right. There's no. There's no like shagging. There's no like. There's no darkness about the man yeah. either. Really, it's. Uh, I, th- I mean, he's just delivers endless funny moments. Is the truth, and he's got that 
flavour of how football used to be that you really feel is slipping through our fingers and you wonder like, are there going to be these kind of managers ever again? So I think both that sense of they don't make him like him anymore, the kind of nostalgic element and just him constantly leaning towards comedy, even when he's angry and being a bastard. (laughs) For me, that's just such an amazing cocktail. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just pure entertainment and gold in terms of sound bites as well like the, the things that he comes out with are just just hilarious and yeah like you said he's just he's different from most of the characters that exist in football today it's just great to have him have yeah. him there also james this is more than a tits and bums podcast you know we don't just do <laughs> shagging scandals <laughs> well, i'm a bit disappointed to uh, be on the first one that isn't uh... <laughs> I mean, back to shagging when you've done it. We can have come back. Yeah, yeah. If you want to pick a really sordid one from, hundred percent. Yeah, golf or another. It doesn't have to be Yorkshire either, mate. We're not, no, we're not looking no, to no, pigeonhole you. <laughs> Could do more than golf and Yorkshire. <laughs> oh dear. I think there's a good. Warnock quote to end this on. Um, so Warnock, I mean, he's 74 now, he's getting on and he's talk, he, he jokes quite often about not being around for much longer. And there's a great quote from him that he's talking about his death, <laughs> I suppose. I don't want silence. I want them all to be chanting Warnock's a wanker over and over again for a whole minute. That would be my ideal. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? It is. Poetic. Yeah. Poetic. I'm sure that he would get his wish as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From a, a lot of A people. few grounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like a lovely place to finish. So, James Gregg, thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed it by being fucking disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> and, Zach, thanks very much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Cheers. 